You're listening to Pastor Jared Ruddy of City Lights Church. I've been wrestling with something, and I want to share um, a message, particularly around Christmas time. We're surrounded at this season, as you know, by lights, by Christmas carols we walk in stores. The message of the gospel is literally all around us. Uh, It's really the one time of year where we hear songs about Jesus as the Messiah everywhere you go. But yet, in the midst of this Christmas season... It's interesting how we can almost take what this message is and somehow, in our beautiful American way of doing things, make it about us rather than about him. Um, We just celebrated Thanksgiving, as you know. We sit around a table. We say thank you by stuffing ourselves with as much food as humanly possible, watching football, and then waking up early or going to bed, whatever you do, so that you can go fight somebody at a store to buy something. It really is odd. And somehow, as Americans, we just continue to play into this thing where we so love this self-interest and self-focused, which is odd. And I want to suggest to you that as we approach Christmas, don't let this slip by you. And I'm not preaching necessarily a Christmas message, but I have this picture in my mind, and I want you to see this with me. We can't just add the message of Christ to our lives. We have to reconstruct our lives around it. What I mean by that is this. Um, You're going to get a bunch of Christmas presents this year. Um, How many people love just tons of gifts, and it doesn't matter if they're useful or not, it's just the act of opening? Anyone? Okay. There are people like that. My wife is one. She just wants to tear things apart, and she just... Look at this, you know what I mean? Uh, I'm the person, um, which has been funny, we've had a lot of conversations recently where I'm the type of uh, gift person, I don't really care, I just want like two or three specific things. So Aaron's like, what's your Christmas list? I said, two books. She's like, that's all you want for Christmas. I said, that's it. That's all I want. But at Christmas, we'll get all of this stuff and we're going to open it, use it, most of which you'll lose within the first few months and you'll hide it and you won't see again. But What Christ does is not just a gift that we add to our lives and put in a closet or put in a room or put on a shelf or use, but imagine receiving, if you will, and this is a, a, I'm struggling with the analogy, but imagine receiving a painting so large that you couldn't fit through the door, but you knew it was so valuable, so costly, that this painting was worth more than your house. You loved your house. Everything about it, you decorated, you had all the furniture designed. But this painting was so costly and so magnificent, but it didn't match anything else. You have a choice to make. I can either ignore the painting because it's just, well, you know, I kind of like the way things are. Or I can tear down my house and reconstruct my life around this thing. See, what Christ did for us in the gospel is not just adding to our lives, but we as Christians and those of us here that are exploring faith this morning have the choice to make, do we choose to reconstruct our lives around Christ? Because I'll say this, to be a Christian, we can't simply add him to our lives. We have to reconstruct. There's not enough space. 
John chapter 12, the scripture tells us, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Look at verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, this is in parentheses, he who was about to betray him said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to to help himself to what he put inside it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Now, it's hard to read a scripture like this and really let it impact our hearts. Because we are so in the framework of looking at the Bible and trying to um, apply things to our lives. And I, and I mean that in a good way, but we kind of look at it and go, okay, where does, when I say apply, more like where does this fit? You know, where does this fit with a 40-hour work week with possibly multiple kids with a broken family, or whatever your scenario is, we take the scripture and we try to, again, like that painting, kind of fit it in the house and where does this thing land? Okay, this scripture, though, is so bold. It's so cutting. Because look what this woman does. She pours out, now she doesn't, have you ever been around somebody that wears too much perfume? Okay, somebody sitting beside somebody, that, it's not you, it's the person beside you. Um, this, this perfume wasn't um, like the cheap, like when I was young, uh, the word like polo, I had fake polo cologne, I thought it was great, you know, like eight bucks and you, you like walk around and people are like, oh my God, what's the alcohol smell you have on you? You're like, this is my cologne, right? Um, this, 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 this perfume that she poured on him, 300 denarii, worth a man's wage for an entire day. So think about what what she's doing in that moment is that she is breaking open nearly a year's salary. Now, I don't know what type of job she had, but imagine taking a year. Have you ever felt like I wasted a year of my life? You know, I whatever I was into this or I was in a bad relationship here and I wasted, I wasted my entire year and it's worthless at all. Now Judas looks at her breaking this flask of a year worth of wages and says something that in reality our hearts actually probably this morning will more align with Judas than they do with Mary. And the reason I say that is this. We as Americans are so focused on producing for others with appearance. Judas said, truthfully, the theologically appropriate statement in that moment. Uh, You're wasting money. You shouldn't waste that. We need to give it to the poor. That is admirable. That's moral. And in that moment, Jesus rebukes him. Why? Because she's not wasting something She's worshiping someone. 
Jesus calls, and the message of Christmas, which is the message of the gospel, calls for a complete restructuring of our lives. This morning, I'm calling upon you for your worship to Christ because he demands everything. Everything. She didn't waste. That was the ultimate investment. That was the ultimate thing she could do was pour out her spirit, pour out her affections and her heart. We have to be careful that we, uh, you know, I'm I'm internally wrestling, so you just have to track with me. I'm feeling a little emotional this past week. I've been singing, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? I don't know why. The song from, you ever have a song go through your head? And I can't tell. Aaron says I'm on a journey through my childhood. I keep singing the the Lion King song, and I, uh, and I, but that's beside the point. Um, it's true, though. I'm wrestling with this 2,000-year-old book, though. Actually, older than that. And I'm wrestling with it because I look at what this thing does, and I look at how my heart opposes it, and I look at how our culture doesn't have a place for it. Where, truthfully, we want to view worship as a segmented part of our day, maybe 15 to 20 minutes of our day, it's almost as if our goal of what does it mean to be a Christian? A Christian means what we've coined as a devotional life. If I can set apart maybe 15 minutes of my day or 10 minutes of our day and and sit down with my Bible and, and read a good verse until something kind of, you know, internally calms me, And then I pray to God, mostly of my complaints, right? And then in that moment, I feel I've, I've, you know, I've connected with God. I don't see that type of worship in the scripture. What I see in the scripture is really this all or nothing affection. In the Old Testament, God commanded Moses to build a tabernacle. It was covered in badger skin. And that's badger skin. There's no Hebrew word for that. It's just badger skin. Don't worry. You're like, what do you really mean? It meant badger skin. Right. It's not really cool. There's nothing fancy about it. In fact, it's badger skin. Uh, and that wasn't like, you know, today where we're like, what is, you know, it's, it's not like a mink coat. It's a badger skin. And on the inside, it was beautifully adorned with gold and laced into this incredible place. But on the outside was badger skin. And God commanded in Numbers chapter 2 that the children of Israel would map out the entire camps, all 12 tribes of Israel, and the temple, or I should say the tabernacle of Moses, right in the center. The tabernacle in the center. He's saying to the children of Israel, which interestingly enough, if you think about this, Israel is really the only nation of people from biblical times that's still alive. That's pretty fascinating. Where are the Hittites, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, all the other ites? They're not, they're not here anymore, but the people of Israel are here. Why? All of the other nations of the world were focused on other gods, and ultimately, doesn't matter how successful they are, sooner or later their kingdom came to an end. But Israel centered on the presence of God, and all of life revolves around that. This is what we see with Mary. 
Mary recognizes my affections and my life and focus have to be fundamentally on God, on Him. Now, what does that mean? Um, let me first tell you what it, it's not, and then I'll hopefully be able to explain what it is. That does not mean that you walk around um, and constantly repeat something in your head, like, you know, constantly saying the name of Jesus in your head all day. You know, continually saying over and over and over. That's not what that is. But what does it mean to live centered from the presence of God? Let me say in regards to a relationship. When you're in a relationship with someone, you make decisions knowing that your life, particularly husband and wife, and even in dating we experience this as well, you begin to make decisions that are no longer independent and individual. Right? When you're a single guy, that's the only stance I can speak from. I can't, sorry, if you're a single woman, you're, I just don't really know. If you're a single guy, what do you do? You just clean whenever you want or never clean whenever you want. You stay up as late as you want. There really is no ramifications because the end of the stick, you're the one holding it. And if there's a gross mess in your house and it looked like a bomb blew up, that's your fault and that's the end. Right? And then when you come into a relationship, you begin to realize that this affects somebody else, but there's a higher level of love than just not trying to make a mess for someone. There's a level of love where you're now making decisions that you are conscious of them when you're not with them. That your decisions now are so intertwined with that person that you begin to think, the decision I make here directly not just affects them as in a sense of reactionary, but an actual sense of the quality of life. If we would treat our relationship with Christ and our interaction with spirituality in the same way that we would our spouse, this is what it would look like. All right, honey, let's reconvene for about 15, 20 minutes. Let's just kind of catch up for the day. I'm going to tell you what I need. You can maybe tell me what you need. I'm not really sure. But let's just sit down for about 15 minutes, make sure we're on the same page. Anything you need, Okay, great. And we would reduce this. Do you see what I'm saying? Sit down on the couch and it's like, okay, let's reconvene. All right, and go. 15 minutes. How's your day? Okay, I don't care about yours. Let me tell you about mine. Okay, and what do I need? Okay, let me tell you what I need. That, that actually doesn't look anything like a relationship. It looks like a master-slave relationship. It doesn't look like a loving spouse relationship. It looks like, what can I get from you? Yet this is the way that we can somehow, and I'm not 100% sure, take the message of the gospel and amazingly we can pull it through this hole of selfishness to the point where Christianity and spirituality is fundamentally about us. Rather than seeing that Christianity is fundamentally about him, about worship, about expression. So what does it look like if it doesn't look like a 15-20 minute thing? I want to say this to you. It means that our lives' primary focus is for the glory of Christ. Judas looks and says, you should have sold that. What you're doing is you're a fool. You're wasting your money. Judas didn't have an eye for the kingdom. He didn't have an eye for spirituality. He couldn't see it. Right in front of him, couldn't see it. Have you ever... um, who, I'm sure you've experienced this if you've bought a new car. When you bought a new car, everywhere you go, you see that car. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, no one's here. Um, you know what I mean? 
when you buy, when you buy a new car, first, nobody had, I remember when we got the Toyota Corolla, nobody had a Toyota Corolla in the entire world. I don't even think Toyota made a Toyota Corolla. There was no such thing. I saw it on a website once. I heard a rumor, but it wasn't really real. Then the moment I got a Toyota Corolla, I'm thinking everyone has a Toyota Corolla. I'm not talking about my friends. I mean, I'm driving down the road. I'm like, ah, you copied me, followed me, got mine. Oh, yeah, so I bought one. Now you did. Everywhere I go, I see it. Why? It was always there, but I didn't have an eye for it. I couldn't see it. Judas, in this passage, doesn't have an eye to see the reality of the beauty of God. In his mind, ultimately, we see this passage fully play itself out where he sells Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. I was talking with an incredible woman of God a while back, and she was challenging me. She said, Jared, what is your price tag? And I went, well, what do you mean? Uh, So that makes me, and she said, Judas's was 30 pieces of silver. She says, everybody, just because of the nature of sin internally, we all have some sort of price tag where we're willing to sell Jesus out. She said, it's your responsibility to find what your price tag is and repent of it before you have an opportunity. I thought, that's profound. And if you don't like that and you don't agree with it, that's still profound. See, we all, because of the sinfulness and the hard-heartedness of humanity, we are so internally pinned towards ourselves, pulled in. What is the price tag? What is the thing where we would say, you know what, maybe this morning, and I I can't, I'm not really going to be able to go inside your hearts. Thankfully, I'm not a heart surgeon. Uh, I can't go inside and do that. But what is that thing? Is it some sort of affection? Is it a status of life? Is it some sort of job position? Is it a person? Is it an approval of person? Is it a financial number that you have to reach? Is it some level of success? What is that in your heart where you say, that is the vase that I won't break? This is it. This means more to me, to God, because functionally speaking, that is your God. Whatever you will not sacrifice in worship is what you're already worshiping. The hard-heartedness of our humanity, and listen, I'm not preaching, I'm preaching to me. This is actually preaching through me, because it's it's in me. That we don't even realize this, and and this this is how crazy humanity is, and I'm speaking this as a human, don't worry. Um, you ever see somebody stumble or fall or make some ridiculous fool of themselves and you instantly almost kind of feel a little bit better of yourself because you didn't do what they did? I'm saying this because I've done it, not because I'm pointing it. Have you ever done that? Like somebody that's like got the world at their hands and they just blow everything. And you're like, man, they're so dumb. And in doing that, you're essentially saying, I'm so smart. Right? I would never do that. The, the brokenness of sin goes so deep within the human heart that not only do we have the ability to break bad things, but even good things. We don't know how to handle good things. Things that are really, like, we don't even know how to handle blessings without somehow angling that blessing, that job promotion, 
towards another coworker or our healthy relationship towards a dysfunctional relationship or our, our money towards a lack of money or whatever it is, our appearance towards a lack. I'm saying this because it is so ingrained into who we are. But the beauty of the gospel is this. God doesn't stand at a distance and say, uh, you guys are so broken to the very core of who you are, you'll never reach me. You'll never, you'll never get here. You'll never be able to deal with those issues of the heart. What Christ did was this. Because he knew we could never surrender perfectly. He sent his son and surrendered perfectly. Isaiah 53, like a sheep to the slaughter. See, Christmas, this beautiful little baby in a manger, ultimately leads to this grown man dying on a cross. Not a picture of beauty. A cross is the ultimate picture of rejection. There's actually, one of my church history books, it's talking about the Romans, the, the sign of the cross was, was ugly, despicable to look at. The idea of seeing a cross was essentially like, uh, and I'm not, would be like us wearing like an electric chair, although we don't really use that, or like a needle around our neck, you know, for some sort of capital punishment. That's what the cross is. The cross was capital punishment. Only for the worst of thieves, only for the worst of criminals. It, it was not a picture of beauty. It was a Roman crucifix. And Jesus, because, listen, you and I never, in our own human ability, could come to God and surrender the idols of our hearts and give him the affection that he's due. We can't. You can't. And this morning, if you're sitting there and you're realizing, I can't, good. Maybe you're sitting there, I can't if I want. That You can't. You could never in your own ability gain approval from God, but the grace of God is bigger than we'll ever comprehend because God sent Jesus. And Jesus didn't sit back and have the struggles that you and I do of, do I, do I, do I, do I want to sacrifice myself? Do I not want to give this? No, what did he do? Scripture says this, Jesus, I lay my diet. No one takes my life. I give it freely. Freely. Now, here's the beauty of the gospel. This is what should so entrance everything that we are. If we're really honest, if we ever look in the mirror of how broken we are and realize that someone laid themselves down and already sacrificed that for us, already took it, your depression, your shame, your brokenness, all of that took it for you and now offers. This is real now. This isn't just something out in outer space. This is real. Now offers us union with God. Unity. Relationship. Now, let me make a comment here. Again, as Western American Christians, we're taking this book written in the Middle East and we're trying to figure out, okay, Jared, give me the formula. Now, where's the formula? You know, no one actually said that, don't worry. But internally, that's what we do. Where's the formula? How do I get this thing done? You know, how, do I, how do I be a Christian 
What do I, how do I know I'm being a good Christian? How am I on track with this whole Christianity thing? What does this look like? And just give me kind of the, because we are so consumed and taught by five physical senses. That's all we can see. The world around us is only perceived and known through five physical senses. Yet we come to a moment like Christmas when we start to experience this strange thing of transcendence where God eternal transcendence becomes human. Well, I, give me the five cents way to become a Christian. What do I have to do? What book do I have to read? How much do I have to come to church? How much do I have to give? How much do I have to pray? And what's interesting about this text is that the, the point of this, don't worry, we're not taking up an offering. We already did that at the beginning. So, The point of this is not empty your bank account this morning. The point of this is that Jesus doesn't want your bank account. He wants everything. As we come to a close here in just a minute, Jesus wants our worship. I was talking with um, a friend of mine, a pastor recently, and he made a statement that's, I can guarantee is going to offend somebody. Um, I can, literally, I can guarantee this. I, um, I'm almost interesting in wagering money on it, which also just offended somebody that I said that as well. I'm kidding. Um, he said to me, you know, Jared, this is interesting. He said, um, I believe... Um, and whatever our church here, City Lights, is a, kind of a quasi-evangelical church with charismatic influences. He said, um, I believe Roman Catholics and charismatic Pentecostals have more in common with each other than evangelicals do with Pentecostals. Now, let me explain what he means by that. He said, Catholics, when they gather together, they're there to meet with, the, with Christ in the Eucharist. It's not just routine. It's not just show up at church. Sure, we all know the people that are just routine, but you also know those people every, in everything. But they show up to meet with God. When they go to church, they're anticipating an experience. They have no problem with that word. They anticipate receiving grace from the Eucharist. He said, Jared, as Pentecostals, as Charismatics... We often limit the presence of God to a worship service. But we also have the expectation that we're coming to meet with the presence of God, not coming to just do a Bible study. We're expecting some sort of transaction of God's presence in our lives that changes the way we do things in the immediate. I find that interesting. As I wrestle, and he went on to say this again, I'm quoting somebody else, so if you're mad at me, you're mad at somebody else's quote. Just to let you know. He went on to say this, that he said, I feel like the reason these two are more similar and that they're focused on a meeting with the presence of God. He says that Catholicism was before the Enlightenment. Catholicism traces back to the early church. Definitely has more than a few bruises. He said as Pentecostals, this reemergence of a focus on the Spirit came to two people groups that were not influenced by the Enlightenment in the early 1900s. They necessarily, if I can say this, um, they weren't trying to figure out how to comprehend or understand things as much as once they had an experience, they tried to explain it. I know that may brush some of us wrong, the wrong way. Again, I'm quoting someone. 
As we approach Christ, we can't look at this merely as I understand mentally and theologically, nor can I look at it solely as experientially. We can't. But to have one without the other, we're going to be sorely disappointed. I've got a great marriage. I never kiss my wife. Right? That was not a confession. That was an analogy. Okay. Everyone's like, hold on. Did he sit? Was that real or was it a joke? Is she okay? Do we need to talk? Okay. <laughs> She's all right. No, we, I do kiss her often. Opposite side. I kiss whoever, however, whenever. doesn't really matter. Also not a good marriage. See the point. When we think of Christianity and we think of theology and experience, if I have all experience and I'm just kissing whoever I want, wherever I want, and it's just, and there's no guiding principle, there's no covenant, if you will, then what happens? Uh, I'm, I'm everywhere, and I don't help anyone. I'm just off, and I'm that kind of weird person that's off there. But if I have all theology, if all I do is I know my wife. I can tell you, uh, I know her social security number. I know how tall she is. I know how much she weighs. I know color of her eyes. I know this, 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 and this, and this. But at the end of the day, if there's no connection, right? See, it's not one or the other, and it's, it's really not both and. It's its own thing. It's love. What we see here from Mary in John chapter 12 is this radical pouring out of herself. She has no problem with emotion. She has no problem what other people say is waste. Her sole focus, my hope for you today as we close now is this, that you would worship Jesus, not just during a song service, although this is a great time to do it. And uh, if, if you don't worship him during a song service, I can guarantee you struggle worshiping him when you're not here. Just saying This is a primed environment. If you only worship here, that's also a problem. And worship is not only songs and the raising of hands. Those are just a means. Could you stand with me this morning? Kenny, maybe the band could come as we just... I just don't play anything yet, though. I just want to take a minute. Maybe this morning, you look at someone like Mary as a person that, you know, you just realize, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm I'm definitely not going to give a year worth of my wages to this thing. Jesse started off talking about giving, and he said, you know, Jesus is not interested in having your money that way, and it's so true. Jesus isn't interested in your money. He's interested in everything. Your money's just in your back pocket when you come to him. He's really not interested in like a certain sliver. He, he wants the whole being of who we are, and money just is a part of that. We can't buy his affection. My call to action this morning is this. Maybe you're sitting here and you go, you know, I'm a kisser. Don't turn to the person beside you. But you say, I just love the emotional 
just, I just love, Jared, if you scream right now, I'm ready to scream with you. You know what I mean? You're just ready. You're almost wanting me to scream, just so you can scream as well. I'm not saying screaming is bad. I like to scream. But maybe you're saying, that I'm, I'm a kisser. I just like to feel, you know, I just want to be that. And that's not bad. I don't want you to leave that. And maybe, and I would venture to say, because of knowing so many of us in our city and our background and just that we're Americans, I would venture to say that most of us are not necessarily kissers. There might be some of them. Most of us are the, yeah, I got this thing down. I know what it means to be, you know, what is, you know, kissing. I know how to explain that, you know. This morning, for a few moments, my call to you as we worship is that you would praise him and that you would communicate with him. God wants to hear from you. He doesn't want to hear just from someone else. He wants to hear from you. He wants to hear you talk to him, to pour out. Why? Why why does he want this? Not because he's egotistical, self-centered. I know you've dated that guy or that girl. How beautiful am I? Very beautiful. How beautiful? Very beautiful. The guy. Do I look good? Yeah. Okay, well then, I know you've met that guy, dated that guy or something. You're out to eat with him and he's constantly looking. To see, oh yeah, she was looking at me, you know. Just to feel that effect. That, that, that's not God. God is not looking for our affections because he somehow lacks something in us. Uh, he's not looking, oh, if I could just get Jimmy today to just give me a shout. You know, then God would be like, whew, I can go on for another day. Just need that Jimmy shout on a Sunday morning to wake up. You know, I personally need it, but God doesn't. But here's the big thing. You need, whether you know it or not, to have your affections fully on Christ. You need it. He doesn't. He's a king. You don't, this is no democracy. He's a king whether we like it or not. You need it though. Because one day will come when the king returns. And it'll be a day of celebration for those that are in the kingdom. And it'll be a day of mourning for others that are not in the kingdom. This morning I call on you to worship him, to commune with him, to communicate to him, to make a commitment if you're a, a kisser, to start studying the scripture. And if all you do is studying the scripture, to make, a, make some time to say, Lord, I'm going to pour my affection on you, not just my intellect. Let's pray. Father, as we close here in just a moment, oh, my heart just longs. Because I don't know how to do what I'm preaching. I just don't, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm stuck informationally today we pray that we could commune with you as you said in John 3 with our spirit Lord thank you for our minds our will our emotions but Lord thank you but you said the day is coming when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth not one or the other Lord we want to worship you in right doctrine and right purity lifting up the finished work of Christ But we don't want to just do that historically. We want to do that actively this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.